few weeks ago, uh, Nathan and a uh, few others asked me to come in here today uh, to bring the message, and that's a chore. That really is. Uh, been a preacher for 30 years, but still, I don't know any of you, and you don't know me. And say, what kind of message can a person bring? I'm a graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, long ago and far away. Uh, and as I came out of my New Testament class one year, my professor gave everybody in the class, which was almost as many as these you here, a sheet of paper. And on that sheet of paper was the ten sandwiches of the Gospel of Mark. I had no idea what he was talking about. So I put the paper where most graduate students do and didn't look at it again for another 25 years. But about five years ago or so, maybe a little longer, I got it back out and started reading it. And then I started researching it. And I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know. So, raise a hand. Who here knows what an intercalation is? Besides my wife and my son-in-law. You know the best thing about my son-in-law? He was a Marine. Did you all know? Yeah. Were you, who said that? Were you a Marine also? Yes, sir. Six years. I didn't hear it? Six years in the Were you an officer? No. Aha. You did, but I didn't. <laughs> so I've got a wonderful son-in-law. He's six foot five. He can whoop the tar out of me, except that I outrank him. <laughs> so I was reading this, and what in the world is an intercalation? It's in my, the word's not in my Bible, but the event is in my Bible. And I'm going to share with you in just a moment the reading of an intercalation. First of all, are there any philosophy majors in here? Oh, I'm in great shape now. It was, I'm not asking about math. My daughter's a math person, so she doesn't count. But an intercalation, if we were talking math or if we were talking philosophy, is when, a, in this case, we begin to tell a story. And I'll read it in just a moment. Uh, by the way, uh, the, all ten of the uh, uh, sandwiches in the Gospel of Mark, I've given a list, several lists. How many did I give you? Five, ten, something like that. Lists of those, so when you go to your group meetings this week, you can talk about an intercalation or a sandwich or a specific sandwich. Um, but the way it works is it starts a story and then stops. And then a second story is told. 
And at the end of that, Mark goes back and tells the conclusion of the first story. So it's an A, B, A prime situation here. And you'll recognize it when I read it, but still, why would Mark do that? You have to know a little bit about what's going on here. First of all, this is written perhaps, I'm going to say 50, okay? 50 years after the ascension of Christ. And we have Mark writing this to a group of believers, maybe like some of you, haven't been a believer for a long time, but just recently became a believer. And all the people that worked with Jesus, his disciples, those close to him, they have died by now, or truly very old. And the first generation of believers, the second generation of believers now, they're getting old. And the third generation of believers is saying, hey, we need some guidance. We need some, which way are we supposed to go? How does a Christian act? Now, I'm saying the word Christian. They didn't have that word at this time. It would be something like, how does a believer in this new wave, how does it work? I mean, what am I supposed to do? What makes me different from the people in the Sanhedrin, the Jews, or the people in Rome? Who knows what they were? They didn't know what they were. What we have, though, is a time that a crisis has come in Israel such that a, a lot of the Jews, if not most of them, to include this first, second generation believer, was taken from Israel to be prisoners in Rome. And nobody likes the Jews anyway, so they weren't nice to them. So they were subject to beatings and harassment and all kinds of nasty things. And now it comes back, wait a minute. I'm now this believer in Jesus, but I hate this guy and I want to kill him or gal or whatever it happened to be. How am I supposed to act? Or I have this disease. How am I supposed to act? Or I have a lot of money or I don't have any money. How am I supposed to act? Now, a lot of times we say, well, that was, what, 2,000 or so years ago. That doesn't affect me. Well, yes, it does. How is a Christian supposed to act in today's society? So Mark has written to this group of people 
uh, in uh, Rome, um, yeah, Rome, most of whom are illiterate, so they can't, and none of them have a book. Books are really unheard of. So they have, Mark writes in a way that they can remember it. And you'll see when you all study the 10 intercalations, the 10 sandwiches, they're really easy to believe. And no, I'm not going to tell you all 10 of them. I've got my list right here, by the way. I could do it, but I'm not going to. So how do you deal with this? So here is a biblical story written by Mark, probably around 50, 60 A.D., written, has carried all the way through history from that time to this time, has been translated from the language it was written in into several different languages along the way, and finally into my Greek New Testament at home. Everyone has a Greek New Testament. I can't read it, but I've got it anyway. And it's a, it's a, it's a story. It's, a, it's, it's something to think about, really, and put into our lives. So I'm going to stop talking about it being an intercalation or a sandwich. Talked enough about it, probably too much. But go to your small groups and there discuss this. But I want to read this to you. From the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Verses 21 through 3,000. It'll take me a couple minutes to read all of this. Verses 21 through 43. This is an intercalation. You have to remember now, Mark isn't a real detailed person. He doesn't tell us exactly all the time where he is, what time it is, whether one or two days have passed, what they're eating, and which way they're going. So we have to listen hard for the message. Now when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing him, he fell at his feet and entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her, that she may get well and live. And he went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him, him being Jesus here. Now that's the A story. Okay, Don't forget it. We're going to come back to it. But now I'm going to change stories with you. Verse 25. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, this woman came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. 
For she thought, this is faith talking, if I just touch his garment, I shall get well. And she snuck up behind him and touched his garment. And immediately, not after a while, not tomorrow, not next week, right now, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt it in her body, and she was healed of that affliction. And immediately also, Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? And the disciples said to him, You see the multitude, boss? They're pressing in on you. And you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware that what she had happened, had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. That's the B section. Okay? Now we go back to A prime. While they were still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, that would be Jairus, telling him, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what had been spoken, said to the synagogue official, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow with him except Peter and James, John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he beheld a commotion, and the people loudly weeping and wailing. And he entered in, and he said to them, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child has not died, but is asleep. Folks, I hate this verse, but I'm going to read it. And they began laughing at him. They were laughing at Jesus. And putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own uh, companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately, there's that word again. And immediately, the child rose and began to walk. You know, doing what 12-year-olds do. They were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said something like, Give her something to eat. She's a teenager for crying out loud. And that's the end of the story. Did you see yourself in this? I don't know how many times I've read this and researched it, and I keep coming back to me. I keep talking about it. 
It's amazing. I'll bet you've seen this too. I'll bet you have seen this. Have you ever listened? And you see it mostly on television, but it's in the newspapers and on uh, uh, car, whatever. And you've seen it. Oh, send in your money. Now, if you send me your money, I'm going to send you back. And there's all kinds of stuff that gets sent back. I've been a little facetious here. If you send in your money, I'm going to send you two ounces, two ounces of water from the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. Okay, you don't like that one. Try this one. (laughs) If you add just a little bit more to it and send me that money, I'm going to give you a square cut out from the tablecloth that Jesus used at the Last Supper. (laughs) Have you heard that? You haven't? Have you heard that? Anything like that? Just use whatever's in your mind like that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work. That's not a miracle. Now it goes into this guy's mind. It has to be a guy goes into this guy's pocket and makes him rich and drive around in big old cars and live in a big old house and eat the class A food and all that other stuff. But you don't get anything out of it. Those miracles are not scriptural. And when somebody does, change channel. Go home. Just walk out. It's not scriptural. You see, in that case, the demand is for you to put your faith in the individual. But the Bible tells us to put your faith in God. Or in Jesus talking here. That's the way a miracle works. I always wrestled with this one. Maybe you wrestle with it too. I always thought, the Bible tells me, I can say to that mountain out yonder, move. And it moves. That's what the Bible says to me. And truly, I believe it. I really do. But I'm not sure he's talking about that mountain. He might be talking about our children going to school. He might be talking about the soldiers I had to care about who just got a letter back from home that their child's in the hospital, that they, this has happened and that's happened and something else has happened, and that the, just the worst thing you can think of that might be a mountain. 
And those are hard to get over. But Al Lowe can't do it anyway. With my faith in Jesus, I can expect the miracle. Now, he didn't say it would happen today or tomorrow. In the stories we read, it was immediately, but they had faith. That woman who had been sick for 12 years, she had faith. Jarius, the big-time person in the community, he had faith. And with them, it was immediate. Not everybody is. Now, what about this girl with the illness? Now, this is happening around our country right now. And children are dying right now. Where's the faith involved in that? You can answer that question. This young girl here in the Bible story, she's 12 years old. She's preparing to make that step into being a woman. She's going to learn. She's going to be a wife. She's going to be a mother. If she doesn't die. And the other person, she's preparing to die from her illness. I don't know what her name is. The Bible doesn't tell me. And I guess that's okay. She does have a terminal illness and is very close to death. And her father is a respected man in the community and he holds honors and high positions in, in probably the local church. He's very active in religious experiences. Comes to all the dinners. I mean, that's part of it. Go to the dinners. Tell the sister how good her food was. He was good at that. And he did that. But apparently somewhere along the line, he had heard about Jesus. Just heard about him. And he did a little research on him. He did a little thinking about him. And it happens to be that he is hearing about Jesus and Jesus talking of love and Jesus talking about healing the sick. And Jairus is a faithful man to start with. But when he hears these things, his faith grows. It's stronger in the faith, stronger in Christ. It doesn't just reach a plateau and stop. It grows. And he must have gone somewhere. I don't know where. Luke, Mark didn't tell me. He goes to where Jesus is preaching, talking about the love and the healing, talking about Jesus. But wait. 
you know just because he went, he's going against the establishment of the church, the synagogue, the Sanhedrin it is, who are absolutely against Jesus. It's not that he goes because there's nothing else to do on Friday afternoon. It's because he believes it. He has faith in it. And he goes, excuse me. <coughs> Here's a woman who's been sick for 12 years. 12 years. She doesn't even have a name. She has no money. She has no value. She's spent everything she has trying to get rid of this illness. And it hasn't worked. Everything. I mean, she has no family. She has no friends. I wrote this down. I couldn't believe it. She's been abandoned by everyone because she is unclean due to her illness, due to her issue with the blood, under guidance of the religious leaders, she cannot experience participation in her church. Can't go to Sunday school. Can't go to your meetings on Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever they are. No one will speak to her. Everyone avoids getting close to her. And as I read this, I thought about that six-foot distance I'm supposed to keep from everybody. Sort of brings that into focus, doesn't it? She has no family, no friends, no money to purchase food. Here's what she eats. Trash. You know the garbage you didn't eat last night? And you scraped it into the trash can and made your son or your husband or your daughter or somebody carried it out and put it in the garbage can. It wasn't a deer that got in your garbage. It was this gal looking for something to eat. She had nothing. She had absolutely nothing. And the church, the church the one that's imposed it upon her. It's, they've taken the law and used the law to keep her isolated. I've got a deer. I'll just read you part of it, okay? I even put a marker so I don't have to embarrass myself looking for it. Ugh, Leviticus. The whole, the whole law on this issue is Leviticus 15, 25 through 33. But here's the first verse, 25. Listen carefully, please. Listen. Now, if a woman has a discharge of blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue as though in menstrual impurity. She is unclean.
and the bed on which she lies is unclean. Everything on which she sits is unclean. Whoever touches her is unclean. That's what it says. Because she has no family, she has no money to purchase food. She eats the trash that's been thrown out for the dogs. But this message is not about the law directly, but how the law imposes and how Jesus overshadows it. The woman is an outcast of the temple. All religious festivities. The woman has no relation with any family member. This woman cannot worship or participate in any ministry event. This woman has liquidated her entire financial worth over the past 12 years. This woman has nothing. She wears rags. She eats garbage. She drinks dirty water. She is avoided, not spoken to, and certainly not listened to. This woman is a textbook homeless individual. And no one seems to care. And the woman doesn't even have a name for crying out loud. On the other hand, let's go back and look at Jairus for a moment. He has a 12-year-old daughter. Doesn't say whether he has any other children. I don't know. But he has a very ill 12-year-old daughter. He participates and leads in worship and community ministry. He is wealthy and all that is associated with being wealthy. He has a home and it's fashionable. His food, class A, prepared by servants. His situation has been a 12-year search of looking for the healing for his daughter. You have them at opposite ends. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't... From the absolute this to the absolute that. You've got Jairus and an unnamed woman. And every one of us in here fit in here somewhere. That's the intent of this story. Jesus doesn't like me. He doesn't care for me. He must live outside the boundary somewhere. Jesus can't do that. He must live outside the boundary somewhere. This is what these young new believers were. Jesus loves you. And you can't dodge him. You don't have to like it. You can ignore it. But Jesus loves you. Both these people have been moving towards a miracle. And they've been moving towards this miracle in faith. Not money. Not because I know somebody. Or not because I've been somewhere faith. They're moving toward a miracle. 
Jairus is led by the authority, the power, and the strength of Jesus. The woman without a name is led by the faith to touch Jesus. Just touch him. Jerry says at the top of society, the unnamed woman, folks, she's in the gutter. I can't say it any more harsh than that. And both have faith. And both are moving toward a miracle. I've said it, I've said it, and I'm going to say it again. The miracles are a resort, result of faith. One does not experience a miracle and then claims to be faithful. One is faithful and then a miracle. It's that way. Unless you want me to tear this page out, I'll tear this page out. That's what it says. It's exactly what it says. The woman literally facing death, having only her faith. Get this in your mind. Shut your eyes. Vision. She sneaks up there. And touches him. And immediately she's healed. Not after a while. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not when I think about it. Not when I have time. Now. Wow. Something else happened too. She's on the ground. She's crying. She knew it. Tears are coming down the side of her face. She knew it. Oh, she's so happy. I don't know what she's saying. But I know what she heard. Who touched me? And I've been in a crowd like this, and Mr. Marine, I know you have too. We're all gathered, and first sergeant says, oh, Not me. <laughs> Wasn't me. It was him. Did you hear what he said? He worked for a living, but the officers had to work. Had to. And that's what was going on here. Wasn't me. Wasn't it? I didn't. Beam me up, Scotty. No, wasn't Scotty. I was waiting for that. Thank you. And she does something every one of us, starting with me. Every one of us need to do this. And she's in the dirt. She's filthy. And her head's bowed. And she said, it was me. I touched you. And she went on to tell Jesus all the stuff that she's been involved with. I touched you. 
touched you. Now, if you get what's going on here. They're going to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. But this sick woman touched And he stopped. And she tells him, I touched you. And she goes on to tell him all the stuff that she's been going through. And he's listening. He's listening. And you might want to underline this in your Bible later. Jesus gives her a name. Daughter. The woman is called Daughter. Somebody comes up to Jerry and says, your daughter died, sir. Just don't bother the master anymore. Let's go. And Jesus said, wait a minute. Wait, hold on there. Time out. Have faith. Have faith. And they went to the house. Now, at that time, I don't think we do this now. Uh, there were the professional mourners were there, and they had already started crying and carrying the passing of this daughter, this 12-year-old. She's dead, so they say. Can you imagine, Jerry? What do you do? Just hold tight, bro. So he speaks to everybody. She's not dead. She's only asleep. I would have, I would have thought, sure, you, yay! They laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. <laughs> Dummy. And he said, okay, mom and daddy, come with me. A couple of you disciples, come with me. And they went into the house, ran out everybody that was in there crying and carrying on. Now, I picture this this way. You might picture it another way. But Jesus, I seen as mama and daddy as his disciples around the bed. No one has said anything. No one has touched anybody. No prayers, no singing. Get up. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh. What are all you guys doing here? Now, don't tell anybody what happened, okay? Don't tell anybody what happened. Give her something to eat, though. You might have something to eat. Miracles are a result of faith. My friend, I don't know whether you're going to get that job or not. I really don't. Where's our partner going to the ocean, that South Pacific? 
You still here? I don't know whether they're going to accept you or not. I hope so. And I hope you're praying in faith. I just don't know. Anybody in your first year of college? Who's first year of college? I see a hand back there. Ah, there it is. Two hands. Anybody else? I don't know whether you guys are going to get straight A's or not. I don't know. I can't promise you that. That's not for me to do. You know that new car you're thinking about? Are you praying about it? Is this something I need or want? Lord, can you help me? I have faith in your answer. Yeah. Don't spend the money on that. I don't know. I don't know. All I'm telling you is that miracles are a result of faith. And that's all this story is telling us. I know this. With your faith in prayer, asking for the forgiveness of your sin, your sin will be that quickly gone. You have faith, you ask for the miracle, you get it. That one I know. How do I know? It's the one I experienced. And if the Lord will do that for someone like me, He'll certainly talk, He'll do it for you too. Nathan, He's got you undercover. Out there in the South Pacific, guess what? Same thing. But that's up to you. I've told this to a lot of people over the years. And I bet you have too, some of you. And they laugh at me. They say, oh, <laughs> that's the craziest thing I ever heard. Really? So I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it to you, and take this personally, okay? Take it personally. You got it? You ready? In faith, the miracle of life returned to Jairus' child. In faith, the miracle of a 12-year-old suffering of daughter was dismissed. The miracle does not just happen. The miracle is a result of faith in Jesus. Confess your sin and pray forgiveness that you may experience the miracle of eternal salvation.